I must not resist the void. Resistance is the mind killer. Resistance is the little death that brings eternal reincarnation. I will face the void. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where I embrace the void, only I will remain. Warning. This podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Episode 45 of Embrace the Void, where we are always trying to get fired on Twitter, but nobody seems to care. I'm your host, Aaron, and with me as always is my liberal media co-conspirator, GW. How you doing, G-dubs? I'm doing well. Good. All right. Short and sweet. We Short have a lot to do today. We're, um, we brought a, a friend of the show back on to talk about a very serious, very voidy topic that we have not covered in enough depth because of our anxiety towards addressing this specific topic. So let's bring on the uh, awkward. This is Fox News with the latest liberal outrage. Liberals, I hate them so much. Okay, so welcoming back to the show, a uh, longtime friend of the show, uh, former guest, Abe, uh, from our, uh, what, do you, what do we call it? Um, uh, blue pilling, right? Uh, <laughs> our bl- blue molding. I was going to say black pilling, but that's already a thing. we got to no, find a color that works yeah. for the void. I'd never heard of that. A dark matter pilling. I really, I want to make blue molding a thing. Blue mold <laughs> and the invisibles is the stuff that they smoke so they can uh, experience enlightenment. You know, I wanted to call it the recovery, you know, to what people mm-hmm. the recovery, but then John Oliver did the piece on drug recovery and uh, mm-hmm. no, uh, you know, de, uh, deprogramming, right? That I like. Uh, so, but this time we're having you back to talk about. Um, another very voidy topic, one that we we haven't covered much on this show because we're not. I don't. I don't personally feel in GW. I said person doesn't doesn't feel very comfortable talking about a lot of the details. So um, we're we're happy to have you on to talk about this. Uh, we're going to talk about Israel um, because that has been a ongoing problematic situation, obviously. Um, and there's been sort of the recent spike in tensions, uh, and there's been a lot of animosity. I think online talking about uh, responsibility and how the media is portraying all of this. So, and I personally uh, engaged in some shitty behavior at one point, making a dismissive crack at you about um, Israel and, and Jewish uh, victimhood complexes. Yeah, no. And like, <laughs> you know, I make those jokes because I, I have uh, Zion- connections to Zionist individuals who I love dearly, but also, I, I have my own personal feelings about these sorts of things, but it was not at all appropriate for me to give you that kind of shit when you're trying to deal with this very challenging situation. So to make it up to you, uh, that's sweet. Here you are. You've seen that si- that Seinfeld episode, right? Where he does the joke about his uncle seeing anti-Semitism everywhere. As in his food came out late, so it must have been an anti-Semite. Oh uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm not well versed in Seinfeld. Unlike my father, I, I know I know I'm I'm a bad Jew, a bad person, whatever. No, whatever. No. So yeah, I mean, I ended up having to leave the group that we're in because, you know, 
the topic of Israel came up and, you know, there was 60 something deaths or 58 or 60 and everyone immediately jumped down my throat about it. And I said, wait, you know, I, just want, I tried to have a conversation about it, but the liberals and conservatives, both sides jumped at me equally and nobody wanted to even hear what I had to say. Mm-hmm. Could, is, is it possible before we really launch into it? Could we just start with like what is currently happening uh, you know, objectively, like what, what are the facts that we know on the ground that's okay. happening? So what we know, because I know there's also a lot of misinformation, which I think you alluded to a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, what we know right now is that Hamas has organized a protest along the fence. We know that the, by, by the fence, you mean the border between Gaza and Israel? Yeah. yeah. We, we know that Hamas is forcing people to be out there too. We know that. We, saw, we know that they're burning tires to obscure vision and the protests have become violent. Now, Israel's trying to protect their border and in some cases, perhaps, they might have perhaps shot, the wrong, shot at the wrong person. But, I mean, that's what's happening right now. So, and, 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 and correct me if I'm wrong here. What instigated a lot of this was the U.S. moving its embassy to where exactly? From Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And it, right. was, it, it was within the country, even amongst the disputed land, the disputed, quote-unquote, disputed land. They were in, within their own rights. So I, wouldn't, I personally wouldn't have done it because why? Why inflame a situation that's already volatile? I mean, do uh-huh. you know Trump? <laughs> like... <laughs> Um, I don't want to. <laughs> the, the other, the other point being, of course, why would you hand away what is viewed as a valuable bargaining chip in a potential peace talk in a way that deliberately inflames people? But again, very Trump, right? It is very Trump, and it's, but it's also, you know, Trump is is grasping at straws. He's trying to do anything he can to try to energize his base. But that's another conversation. Well, so who's pushing his buttons though from this end? Is this is this Netanyahu getting what he wants with the move to? Jerusalem. This is Netanyahu getting what he wants to try to. Uh, well, let's let's take a step back. Let's let's go through all the because you know we talk about what Netanyahu is, what Netanyahu has become. But Netanyahu at one point was, and I think I still consider him to be at one point, well, one of Israel's best politicians, maybe of all time. Unfortunately, he's misbehaved. There's corruption charges that look very legitimate, and for me, that's completely disqualifying. What are the charges in relation to? There's a couple accepting gifts and then, uh-huh. um, pre- preferential treatment for a media organization. So they would get certain information if they've covered Netanyahu in a positive light. And there's a scandal with Germany where they used, they were buying submarines as well. Interesting. So that's it's it's pretty clear that he's been misbehaving. I'm sorry, just to clarify that Netanyahu was purchasing submarines from Germany or the other way around? From Germany, yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. And those are probably not the ways that I would say are the, the necessarily the most important for uh, pointing to ways in which Netanyahu has inflamed the situation, I think. I, w- right. I disagree. No, you don't. Please, and I'll explain. Netanyahu was building when he shouldn't have been building. And, right, that's... And disputed land. Yeah. Not disputed land. You know, current land that belongs to Israel, that will always belong to Israel. But to put pressure on the Palestinians, he began to expand the settlements, quote unquote settlements. And settlements are buildings, they're apartment buildings. That's why I don't know why they call them settlements, but that's what they are. So Benjamin Netanyahu is trying to appeal to the radical right 
by lobbying Trump to get out of the Iran deal, by moving the embassy, because he wants to stay in power. And it's doing a disservice to the country as, as a whole. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't really deny that, like, a, a major, uh, you know, amongst the people who are acting in bad faith or in problematic ways, Israel or Israel's leadership in, form, in the term form of Netanyahu and Trump are amongst the sort of short list of people who are exacerbating the situation. That doesn't, that, I'm not, that's not to remove all responsibility from anyone else, but just to make, you know, I think, I think it's helpful to your position the more we can say look there are people on all sides who have made this somewhat problematic absolutely i mean no you can't argue that and even if netanyahu which i believe he did have the right intentions to try to pressure the palestinian authority to finally recognize israel and have peace it's still not the way it should be done you shouldn't be signing things under duress so he at the end of the day is doing a disservice to the entire country to stay in power but that still doesn't, I mean, going through the motions of what happened right now in the embassy, I mean, have you, do you want to go into that? Sure. Okay. Do you want to give a little bit of background on that or you want me to? No, you go ahead. Okay. So Hamas organized these protests because it, the United States moved its embassy to Jerusalem on its own land. Now, generally speaking, this isn't an issue. I mean, any other country could move any embassy anywhere they want within their own land and that's fine. But... You know, Israel has special, I mean, extra scrutiny, I guess. I, so in response to that, there's protests. Mm -hmm. (sighs) So what is your, um, what do you feel like are the main things you want to push back on with like the way that this is being portrayed? Well, the the protests have become violent Mm -hmm. and by design they became violent. The Hamas knew what they were going to do. That's why they did it. They were burning tires to obscure vision. And the Israeli military came to stop people from, and I quote, going into Israel and killing anybody they can. I guess I'm curious. Do you feel like anyone is acting in good faith at this point? I mean, the army. I believe the army is. You know, I, I have to okay. pass this and, and look at the casualties. You know, all of my friends, my right and my left, some of my right friends, came, you know, came down hard on me. Well, what is this? There are 60 people dead. And I said, just wait, give it a second. Israel has tried to, to reduce casualties whenever possible. And they, and they refused to believe me. They told me about snipers shooting kids and people in wheelchairs. And, and as much as I tried to explain, listen, if it happened, it's a tragedy. But I highly doubt that I was on purpose and I was happy that it happened. Yeah. Go on. No, go ahead. You know, so taking a step back, you know, a couple of weeks late pass and... Surprise, surprise, 50 of the six people who are dead were fighters and probably armed. Yeah, I think, I think this is a legitimate point that you're making, and I, I've heard it echoed in various ways in a couple of places like The Daily when they did a bit about the young girl who died right. as a result of being there. Did you hear that one as well, G-Dubs? I did, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I do think that there's some there's something to what you're saying about how like Hamas is deliberately trying to provoke these kinds of stories and these kinds of narratives um and and yeah go, go ahead you know i could sit and show you video of palestinian parents willingly sacrificing their kids be, be tour to set the narrative that way and it's something so outrageous you wouldn't believe me you would need video evidence and even that would be hard to believe but when you're when you're part of a radical any radical religion you start to believe things that aren't necessarily logical 
I guess for for me, the emphasis is less on being part of a radical religion as being trapped in a situation with no options and having that radical religion be presented to you as literally the only option. I, they're the only way you could see the people of Palestine are as victims. I mean, the people themselves, not not right. oppressing them there. Right. The it, it does seem to me that it's important that we do want to distinguish that, like, on both sides, the leadership seems to be acting in bad faith for the sake of preserving their own power. But the rank and file, for the most part, it seems like, are caught up in a, a horrible, bloody land feud that most individuals don't want to be any part of. On the Israeli side, truly don't want to kill people. That, that I know. I don't think anybody... No, I don't think anybody really truly wants to kill a bunch of people. Like I was, I disagree. You know, unfortunately, when you when you have a, an organization as extreme as Hamas, I mean, up until last year, it said in the charter. You know, it quoted actually. I might, I think it was the right quote from the Quran, but it says, you know, let the bushes and and the trees scream that there's a Jew hiding behind them. So they could be slaughtered, you know, I'm I'm paraphrasing. Uh, Right. I'm not denying that there are groups that promote these sorts of things. Right. And I'm not talking about. Right. I'm not I'm not saying that there aren't people who support those ideas. I'm saying for normal human beings, when push comes to shove, most human beings struggle with the basic idea of killing another human being that like when you listen to the guys who go off to try to join isis and the the stuff that they go through to try to desensitize themselves to being able to kill other people it's very very hard um i'm not saying it can't be done is what i'm just what i'm saying is that like i think most human beings are pro-social herd animals for the most part and if given a live and let live option rather than a violent option they'll prefer the live and let live option unless they're abused into the other one I tend to agree with you on that for most humans. Yeah. And I I think this is such an extreme situation that people is putting so many people under so many kinds of pressure that you're getting all these crazy responses. You know, I could say about Israel that they want peace and they will give land for peace and they will do it and they will give money for peace, but they want peace. You can see it in the agreement with Jordan. You can see in the agreement with Egypt. This is, they just don't want to be bombed or bomb people. They just want to live their own life. So who is making those concrete steps? Um, the problem is there's a speed bump. You know, on one side you have a group that's looking for peace, and the other side says, "No, you don't deserve to exist." Well, no, I sometimes not here. No, I'm quoting literally. They refuse to exist. They refuse to recognize any land or any rights that Jews live on in Israel. Period. That's it. There so are. it's hard to go past that. I think what I'm saying is you have to find the members on both sides who don't think that way and empower them to increase their, you know, the level, the number of individuals who are supportive of that particular perspective. So for example, I think you, you're pro seeing um, Netanyahu removed, not just because he's corrupt, but because he has pulled Israel to the right and made any sort of reconciliation more distant, not closer. Yes. And no, I mean, you know, the steps where he was building where he shouldn't be building was to try to put pressure on on the Palestine on the Palestinian Authority to come to the table and say, okay, you exist, so let's do peace. It's wrong. It's, you know, this is the wrong way to do these things. It's just not gonna happen. But I think these moves end up coming out of desperation because I think most of Israel, no, I won't say all of Israel just wants just to be left alone. Let them do their own deal. So how many more steps are there to begin to say, listen, we just want peace. Recognize us so we can move on. 
but we're not we're not going to die. We're not going to let you kill us, and we're not going to disappear. So where's the balance? You know. And what is like? Uh, this is you know pure ignorance on my point. What is the if we were to try to steel man the the Palestinian argument? Like, what is it that they have against Israelis like having their own land? Well, I, I it's well I can't say that. In general, I can say that they don't want them to have this land, as in this was their, this is their place, or the place that they had control over. But following history back, you know that that's not true. Well, that you know, it went from the Ottoman history. Empire to the British, from the British, you know, off to Israel. Right, and I think what you're saying is this was owned by colonialism, and then as colonialism went away, that ownership was transferred to not the people who were living in the area. Not not all the right. There were there were certainly Jews who were living there, but you understand what I'm saying is that like right, just like you're willing to admit that some there there is a difference between the areas in which it is understandable for Jews to be living that is fine and the settlements that have been used to deliberately provoke and encroach. True. Now a lot of those settlements are within Israeli land that would eventually go to the Palestinians if there was some kind of a deal. And it's also in specifically in, as I understand it, places that are easily defensible and and sort of maximize resources, various things that like, you know, it it makes it harder. All these various steps make it harder to walk back towards, you know, a balance. But I I do agree with you that I think there are people who want balance. No, do you think that a two state solution is pretty much the only option at this point? Yeah, absolutely. I think they actually actually absolutely have their own states. I think they should have their own power. As of now, only Israel gives them power. Actually, no, that might have changed in, in the PA. They, I think this year they're transferring more and more power responsibilities to their own people. But Israel's the only one who gives them power and water at this point. Mm-hmm. So I need to take a step back here because, you know, you mentioned something that I thought it was interesting was to... F- how do you find those moderate individuals there? Before it was Fatah that was there. It was Hamas versus Fatah in the election, and Hamas won. So how, how do you move forward if the majority of the population agrees with the leadership? Well, is it that they you know, won in a fair and balanced kind of way, or that they sort of muscled out their opponents and, and, and maintained control? Like, I think it's the same as with any kind of situation, right? Forces like Hamas... A, you know, they get funded by other areas, which is problematic. This is this is one one situation in which we can be critical of the Iran deal. It's bad that I think Trump pulled out. I think it's bad that Trump pulled out of the Iran deal. But we can agree that one of the ways in which Iran has not been following the good faith principles of the Iran deal is they've been continuing to fund Hamas. And that is problematic because Hamas is a violent terrorist organization. There's no way to avoid that, if we're being honest. So you have to both address that kind of access by continuing to put the screws to Iran, I think by staying in the deal, but by exposing and pressuring that more, but also again, by providing access for an alternative. And that's best done when you don't have someone like Netanyahu who is provoking for his own ends, but instead have someone who can do outreach towards members of the Palestinian community that are separate from Hamas. But and this is purely purely because I don't I don't know the demographics nor the beliefs of, of of Palestine. But say the majority just don't want it. They mm-hmm. believe that the Jews shouldn't be there and they should be out. What do you do next? 
you could conversation starts with no we won't we won't recognize that you exist how do you make peace there oh i mean i just you, you explain to them that there are certain things that are non-starters right like do you want to have any dialogue at all well that's not going to be the beginning of the dialogue the beginning of the dialogue is the the agreement in principle to a two-state solution where both parties are viewed as full-fledged persons and you know that's that right and then go from there um and and i think you find the individuals within those communities who are able to make that change and then you bring on board moderate voices the more moderate voices you can pull together the more you can make a coalition that can push back against uh because truthfully no one wants to live under the the conflict that we're currently engaging in right it's not a pleasant lifestyle to be living under so as soon as you can try to present some sort of alternative that reestablishes basic access to resources and needs, like I, I think you get a lot of people on board pretty quickly. You don't have any kids, right? Nope. So you can only imagine as I can only imagine what it, what, how distorted your mental state must be to be willing to have your kid die for a political cause. And I don't mean adult that goes to war. I mean, a child. Being held, being held in front of a fighter with a gun that's shooting at Israeli troops. The parents not only don't disagree with this, they encourage the behavior. I guess what I would say is you have to, you have to be, you have to be really honest about how much you have to abuse, harm, and damage an individual before they would allow for that. I because no one would do it. No one would do it in any uncoerced kind of way. I don't know. People do it now. People were doing it in Iraq. You know, when they, when the United States came. But not I, like I, I struggle to describe what they are doing as a freely made decision in any, even the most like generous, like steel manning kind of ways. But I mean, I, I would hope. I I hope. I genuinely hope this is the case. But that's not what history has shown. In any of these countries, when they're fighting, I mean, we when we talk about Afghanistan, we talk about Iraq, we talk, we can now talk about Hamas. You know, we we look through it, and that's sadly in Yemen now. But you know, we look through and we see the same kind of behavior because when you when you adhere to a to a religion that says martyr yourself, and you will be happy, you will be, you know, life doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, but like no, I mean the 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 severity of the behavior correlates to not just the particular belief system, but towards the, the environment in which it is is performed. Right? There are atheist scenarios, there are Christian scenarios in which people do incredibly fucked up stuff because they think it's their only way out. Yeah. Yes, and no. But we know that there isn't. This isn't their only way out. But they don't know that. <laughs> that all. Of course they do. No. <laughs> 2005, Israel returned what is now the Gaza Strip, that entire land. They said, you can have that. It's yours. Please don't attack us. Okay? So the, the history is there of them showing, we'll give you land. We'll, we'll be happy. Just l let it go. No. And then we'll build settlements, though. Rockets. What? I mean, the rockets aren't good. It's terrible. It's not, not a good response. And it's, it's, hard. It's, it's hard to de-escalate a situation because it is very easy to escalate one. It's very easy for bad faith actors to swarm any attempts at good faith on either side with violence that leads to more retributive violence. I agree, 100%. That was an opportunity when there's a big piece of land that's just handed over with some working businesses even to you know give them a step up. Don't you think 
that that's the opportunity and opportunity to move forward. And instead, it was just an attack. Yes, because the people who don't want to move forward are going to engage in an attack in order to stifle any attempt to move forward. I mean, define forward. Two-state solution? Yeah, but when you look through and you have, and this, this also goes for the quote-unquote more moderate PA that, that just says absolutely not. Well, now we're not talking about no, necessarily the extremists. We're talking about the leadership who mm-hmm. very much know what's going on. You know, Yasser Arafat died with a supposed, well, a huge fortune, but in between $1 billion $6 billion. No one knows exactly. The PA tried to come after his wife, but, uh, you know, funds, quote unquote, disappear. The president of Venezuela died, and he was worth $8 billion. Venezuela is an oil-producing country. They have vast wealth. It's just easy to steal as much as possible. How does a place like the Palestinian Authority, which is poor in comparison, how does he get that amount of money out of it? I'm not, I'm not well-versed enough on that part. Um, this is important because when the international community does send help, and they do, there are hundreds of millions of dollars sent to the Gaza Strip and the Palestinian Authority. But why are there people starving? Why are people starving? Why? Um... Because it's a way of controlling, and various people are trying to control the situation. Um, I'm, I'm curious where you would suggest people would go to to get back a little bit to like useful, helpful things to suggest for dealing with the situation. Where 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 are reliable sources of information about this topic? Because it seems like one of your big complaints is that people are getting unreliable information. You have to wait. Um, sadly. The news don't have access to what they really need. The news can't get into the behind Gaza and show what's happening unless Hamas lets them. Hamas won't let them. There's no way Hamas let them unless that the scene has been fabricated as they have been in the past. <laughs> so, I mean, I could send you article after article that just some of them are just outright lies. I mean, lies. So I guess I'm not snipers killing children. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I I know I know that some of the Israeli outlets will say one thing, and the same outlet under a different opinion will say the the complete opposite because Israel has the freedom of the press. But I I saw from my friends on the ground that I spoke to directly told me outright, no, we're we're doing everything we can to just take out the people who are danger to us and the people around us. So I don't know. I, I don't know how to answer that. There aren't any particular news sources that you think have been consistently honest and I mean and and hold and hold back on making claims until they actually know what they're talking about. You know, no, I'm not. Sure. Okay, I can't fair enough. Say Fox, and I can't say CNN. Right. I think AP has been pretty reliable, but like any news reporter, once again, and get the story, they'll very often take things at face value just because of lack of ac- uh, of access. Right. So I, you know, I, I don't know where to get the best information. It's sad that that's even in the conversation. Like, what, what, where am I supposed to actually know? If I don't have friends there, I would have had to wait two weeks before people really reported what was happening. So even if you do post that retraction, it's too late. Everyone's sentiments is true. Everyone's sentiments. Everyone's mind is. Mm-hmm. So you're hoping some people are going to remember three weeks back that that one conflict was, wasn't actually murdering babies. Right. 
what are you supposed to do? It's, it's certainly hard when there's been such an uptick in anti-Semitism. It feels like online that that every it feels like every group, whether it's the incels or whoever, they always just throw in a dash of global anti-Semitic conspiracy theory to just round things out a little bit. It's disheartening because there's a lot of people over there calling for the disillusionment of Israel. And I can give you a list of countries that have either treated Jews as second-class citizens or out, you know, obviously discriminating against them, but also outright heavy discrimination. United States, I mean, we can go down the list. So the one place where they could go in a worst-case scenario, that's also expected to be to disappear. I don't, I don't see, you know, Palestinians as they shouldn't be forced to go any, go to any other countries if they don't want to. But they're welcome. There's lots of Muslim countries. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots and lots. But there's one country that Jews can run to. Mm. So I don't know. Do you have any questions, Sergi Dubs? You do not? No, no. I'm just trying to sort of follow along. Mm-hmm. I want you to ask me anything that's on your mind. If you have doubts, if you have doubts that you think I'm going to get mad at, still ask me. Because I'm, I really want to get this out there. There is so much misinformation that it's it's just difficult to keep up with. My friends don't even want to do it anymore. They just don't want. They're exhausted. They don't want to engage. Yeah. It's hard. Here, I have a I have a question. Uh, this sounds like a loaded question, but I mean it in earnest. Like, what? Why should I? It sounds rude too, and I don't mean it's it. Right. To be, but I, why, I why should I? Why should I care about what's happening over there? So. You should care about it because it's a step in the direction that we want every country to go to. We want full-fledged democracies anywhere we can because a person's voice should matter when it comes to leadership. Do you feel like Israel is a full-fledged democracy right now? 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they are. I mean, even non-Jews have representation in the parliament as they should. So yeah, I do. I absolutely do. I mean, two million Muslims live in Israel with full rights, voting rights, rights to school, university, 100% everything, as it should be. When do you think that we might see Netanyahu voted out? Very soon, I think. Okay. I, you know, I personally believe that the way things are going, you know, he's desperate. I, I recognize a desperate man a long way off. You know, I was sitting with a couple of friends of mine, you know, ex-special forces guys and lawyers, and we were sitting around. And there was the day that Netanyahu got on stage with a PowerPoint presentation saying, Iran broke the law, which it didn't, broke the agreement, which it didn't. And I said, I hope he's not lying, because if he is, his credibility, what's left of his credibility is going to be shot. And he was. Iran did not okay. violate the deal. All right. So, sorry, I interrupted about why, why we should care. So, oh, all right, moving back to that. Um, you're looking at a country that has moved medical science forward decades when it comes to burn units, one of the best in the world, I mean, Intel, cell phones, I mean, I could go through the list of things that help everyone in the world, everyone, everybody. So I think that without Israel, you'd have a huge detriment. Besides that, Israel keeps an eye on everybody in the Middle East. Everybody. Way to make it sound pretty conspiratorial there, buddy. I mean, I hate to say it, but you know. Way to to back-to-back make a crack about how Jews are too smart and overrepresented in the technological professions and then spy on everyone around them. You have confirmed everything. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to lie. That's the way it is. When you have countries on all sides that want you gone, you need to be on top of what's happening in the Middle East. You have to. Sure. 
So the best conduit for the United States to that, the way to keep their fingers on the pulse is through Israel. Now, that's not necessarily policing, but that's to know if there are plans to attack something X, Y, Z, whatever it is. Do you feel like Israel faces a substantial existential risk, or do you feel like we're more likely to see uh, them bomb Iran, for example? I think, no, they will, they will strike Iran before Iran can destroy Israel, because we know that Iran will. Well, I get called a radical for taking the leaders at their word. Right. So something. we pulled out of the Iran deal, right? So this is part of the reason it matters, I think, right? We pulled out of the Iran deal so they can start building nukes again, which in turn gives Israel an incentive and motivation to bomb them, yeah. which in turn... It, it, it's, it would be very difficult for Israel to bomb Iran. It's a, it's a stretch on their capabilities. As, as much as people talk up the Israeli military, which is first class, they just don't have the resources they need to have a sustained battle out there. So, you know, I, I, they, they don't want, uh-huh. because they can't, I mean, it would, they maybe could, but it would be a huge strain. Lots of people would die. That's, they prefer not to. But, you know, when you have everyone trying to kill the Jews, it's, it's hard to deal with Iran. I wonder... Here's another ignorant question. Uh, there are no is, ignorant questions. Like, is this is this like a holy war in a way? Like, is it seems to be all about religion in in one way? Like, I can't think of another way. Like, it seems in, like in one token, it feels like it's a you know a battle over territory, but really, it feels more like a religious basis for it. Now, I, there's no way to escape that the reality of that. Yeah, I believe I believe on at least more on one side than another, because if you look at the numbers of atheists in Israel, it's far higher per capita than I think actually most of the rest of the world. Though you do have to factor in full, full of atheists. You got to factor in the Christian evangelicals who are backing Israel because of their own eschatological bullshit. Yeah. The foreign ones. But do I think it's a religious war on one side? Yes. On the other, I think that they just want peace. I mean, I, They've done things that have been wrong. I will not absolve Israel for its crimes or its mistakes. I won't. I can't do it. But the good faith is obvious. Mm-hmm. You know, I want. I like to even give an example of that because it's important. Okay. You know, after two thousand five, um, they began. Uh, you know, we've had bombs, attacks, and suicide bombers. And instead of killing, besides the original attacker, which are usually arrested. You have the houses of the individuals in in Gaza, wherever it might be. So even if there and if there is a weapon stash there too, they will bomb the house or school or wherever they are keeping the weapons. And I can show you videos of whatever you've missiles being launched out of schools and hotels. I mean, people's homes. So why? So w- when Israel retaliates, they will call everybody that might be affected by that bomb say get out of the house you got five minutes get out they don't get out they send a very small uh very small projectile to make a big noise on the roof if they still don't get out they're in deep shit because there's a rocket coming down for those that don't have phones they'll drop leaflets i there is no one else that does this kind of deal they don't want to kill if they, they if they wanted to they could erase Gaza, the Palestine. well that that's a common actually i mean historically that's a common tool like they they dropped leaflets over places like Dresden too. Um, constantly. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, no, I mean that like it's not uncommon for a group to say 
you know, every individual and tell them to get out of the zone. No, just to say that we're we're aiming, we're we're planning to bomb a certain area, and if you are a civilian, please exit this area as quickly as possible. So I'm a big fan of that idea generally. Sure, I think it's great because people can move, and certain weapons caches can be moved, but the heavy stuff, the missile and stuff, can't be, really be moved that efficiently. Mm-hmm. So that's one. My question for you guys is: Why hasn't the the UN um, condemned Hamas? Well, so yeah, I mean, what is your take on the UN at this point? Like, ha- is it really true to say that the, the UN has not condemned Hamas, or is it true to say that the UN often condemns Israel? You, what have you heard, GW? What have you heard on this? It's okay to say nothing. Insanely nothing. <laughs> well, it's such a small amount. It's you know, I I struggle to keep up on. Uh, our current national policy, and I struggle to keep up on foreign policy. Sure. Aaron, have you heard anything from the UN about this? Um, I mean, I was just, I was, because I was reading up a little bit, I was looking at the Palestinian um, uh, submission of the request to have the whole situation reviewed by uh, the UN. And of course, I read the article that you sent me about how the UN has put out more proclamations against Israel than Palestine over the course of all of this, I think. I think I think it's not just Palestine. It's found that Israel's been disproportionately sanctioned by the UN consistently through the last whatever years, 20 years, whatever it might be. Right. So there's a, there is a significant disproportion. This, and this is admitted by Ban Ki-moon. I can send you the article. Is why don't they come down on Hamas? Specifically Hamas. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like that's the kind of question that I'm not an expert on on the UN or what that situation is. I don't know if there are examples where they have condemned Hamas and it's just it's not sufficiently reported. I don't. I really don't know. I really don't. Did you know you can get shit for referring to terrorization in line amongst amongst people that we know for. You, you call Hamas. That would certainly surprise me. I guess I wouldn't. I can't. I, no, yeah, no, I and mean, people I know would not immediately jump to the defense of Hamas. Hamas. <laughs> I mean, I did anybody when you were engaging on online with like, I mean, like, hundred percent called victims, hundred percent victims, took no responsibility for any of the stuff on the other side. Well, is it different? I mean, like, there's one thing to talk about moral luck, and another thing to talk about, vic- you know, like they're they're one hundred percent innocent. Like, I think, like I was saying earlier, you can talk about the contexts that breed these kind of behaviors. But that's not that's an explanation, not an excuse. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I can't I can't argue against that. You know, mm-hmm. I you know I so see what why this is happening outside of outside of irrational motivations. You know, I know other countries are funneling money to Hamas to wage war. So I, that they very much have become a pawn in other countries' hatred of Israel. That's true. I mean, think points to evidence there too. Think about the people who take food from missionaries and praise Jesus or whatever. You know, like there, there's to me a similarity in that kind of situation. That like human beings in an attempt to survive will do what they need to do in terms of adopting whatever is kind of expected of them in that environment. Think so? Absolutely. Yeah, and like I've already like judging I, them for it. Yeah, go ahead. I I think you see that in you know young, mostly boys, growing up in a you know broken household or in a terrible neighborhood, and they join gangs because it gives them a sense of family. I mean, but you see you see a significant. I mean, it's a clear, there's a clear motivation there. You know, you want to find acceptance where you don't have 
but I'm just talking about a mother sitting in a hospital in Israel that just saved the son from his heart condition. He was born badly. And then when the doctor asked him, you know, what do you want for your son? And the mother replies, I, I hope that he mar is martyred fighting Israel. You know, it's hard to kind of square that circle. I think, but I think also, like, if you look at any, any long-term conflict, right, there's, there's going to be enough, not demonizing, that's not really the right word, but there's going to be enough history that at some point you have to go, we need to stop thinking about the past and start thinking about the future. And we need to create a line right here that says, okay, from now on, we're going to try to change. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I agree with what you're saying in terms of the severity of uh, a mother sort of proclaiming how wonderful it would be for their child to martyr themselves and how horrible that could be. But, but I think with Aaron's point, you do have to think about the situation that gets someone to a place where that is okay, right? What is the environment in which that is something that someone would want? Yeah, I agree. I mean... What, what is it when you have someone take a trolley in France and just go and kill as many people as possible driving down a boulevard in France? I mean, I mean is, is there a switch they can throw he's... to go down a different path? Because, you know, we got to talk about trolley problems. I mean, we got to be clear. Uh, no. Sorry, I couldn't help it. It's good. You set me God. up for that. I'm so proud of you. You're so pretty. A lot of people died. A lot of people died. I can't. I, mean, I shouldn't laugh. I'm not laughing. No, never mind. <laughs> we got to laugh through the pain. It's the only solution. <laughs> you got to embrace the void. I mean, that that's the thing for me. There's no daylight between the people who turn to that martyrdom and the people who turn to martyrdom because they're incels in Toronto and the people who turn to mm -hmm. like all these different kinds of ways to reclaim some sense of agency and a narrative of power in a situation where they have no control. You know, a person can have a perfect life and still make themselves miserable. Sure. And I think that happens a lot more than we might think. You know, what about France? I mean, you're not going to tell me that France is colonizing Palestine or, you know, taking down as many governments they can in the Middle East and in, in, in those countries. So why, what, what do you think that person that took the, truck and killed as many people as he could what was his motivation what what drove him to that point well, I, yeah i don't think we need to get into like a relative privation kind of thing where you know if they're not if they're living in a civilized part of the world or a less sort of you know ravaged by war part of the world that there is no way that they could have the psychological isolation or the the lack of feeling you know like the the the, the ability to feel like one doesn't have any control and that one has been deprived of any sense of purpose in life and then to turn that around towards violence, especially young men, especially with the internet where there are so many people who are looking to prey on young men who are feeling this, like it's, it's a, it's a toxic environment to be in right now. hundred percent. You know, I, you know, it's the suffering is obvious, but I don't think that we can just, we can say pressure has been put on them. So let's kill babies. Like, I don't think that that's no. necessarily the right step. No, I think what the right step is what you're doing. I like, you know, I'm on board with your approach to trying to be, say, you know, honestly, 
Netanyahu is a roadblock for resolving this situation, but so is the knee-jerk reaction that has been bred with regard to Israel, basically. Yes, but they're not equally as they're not. They're not both stopping them at the to the same amount. I don't think it's about. You don't think we ever have. I don't. I think we get in the bad habit of being like, well, these two things are equally the same, or something like that. And that's not necessarily what matters. What matters is uh, a good dialogue is about saying, here's where my side is on point, and here's where your side is on point. We don't need to say that they're identically on point, but we need to acknowledge the realities that both people are experiencing so that we can merge them into one reality. Sure. Yeah, I think the only thing that we need to equate is both sides are suffering, right? Regardless of what position you take, you can't help but acknowledge that both sides are suffering. Yeah, and but, I mean, one side to... is clearly suffering more than the other one. I mean, that's... But I think, I think that's an argument that almost has no purpose, right? Like, I, I don't disagree with you in any way, but... You know, by saying one side is suffering more than the other, what does that get you? Right? It doesn't well, get you. It doesn't get you I mean, to like, a solution. It, it does. It does refer back to what you had mentioned before. You know, misery will lead to horrifying things. Mm -hmm. But I think that we need to keep in mind which side is not being reasonable, because I'm open to suggestions on how to get someone who refuses to to admit that you exist. How do you open dialogue there? How could you how could you come up with anything? Well, I think we used the the method. I can't remember his name. He's been on a lot of stuff recently. The guy who used to be the neo-Nazi who now goes around to try to help reform neo-Nazis. And uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, do you guys know who I'm talking about? Yeah, I know who you're talking about. I know who you're talking about, yeah. But I don't yeah, you know, one of the things he says is, you know, don't punch a Nazi, hug a Nazi, right? That trying to understand the other's perspective will help you empathize with them, and if you're able to empathize with them, then it's easier to, to come to an understanding and to breed less hatred, breed less violence, breed less, you know, suffering. You know, I, I think that they have a pretty good idea about the suffering. I mean, I, when you have the example of, say, a neo-Nazi, there was a society that could help him out, help him out of that mindset. But what if everybody there is in that mindset? What if there is no help? There is no way out of the mindset. What do you do as Israel? What would you do? I don't. I, I, I reject the idea that there would be no possible way to get those people out of that mindset. I'm not saying it's easy. I think it's going to be very, very hard. I'm not optimistic that this is going to be resolved quickly. But if you really come to the conclusion that there's no one you can deal with on the opposite side of the table, that leaves you a very, very limited, very violent set of options. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, we're talking about a place where honor killings are state-sanctioned. If a girl marries or is with a man that the family doesn't agree, then they are allowed to kill her. Or I, I mean, like, yeah, I, I know, but like, there are other countries that have honor killings. Well, as, as it comes to social mores. Yeah, but human beings are pretty readily reprogrammed, to be honest. Like, uh, I'm not saying that these people, that there aren't views that are being habituated into them. I'm saying a generation out from having some stability and not everyone trying to kill each other and people will be back to wanting iPods and not trying to murder each other. Hopefully. I mean, that's what history has shown. In some yeah. Places. I don't think Palestinians are uniquely different in their desire to murder the Jews. There are lots of anti-Semites in the world, but if you can get them busy with wanting iPods and financial stability, you can 
get them to stop trying to fucking kill Jews. And I'm not saying that's great. I don't want them to exist. I'm not like, I don't want the anti-Semitism to exist at all, but like, but I, I want to focus. I, want, I agree. No, I want, I want to, <laughs> I want a pragmatic solution rather than just a solution. That's just endless series of murder back and forth I'm, because unless you're willing to kill every single Muslim, right. Or all the Muslims who agree with this particular sect of Islam, any number that you kill just generates more terrorists. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it, it is a vicious cycle. I have to agree. Now, I wanted to bring up something that I think is a parallel, and you you judge it as you wish. But, you know, Iraq it looks like the new, the new head of Iraq is going to be an anti-United States cleric. Have you seen that? Mm. No? Neither of you? Nope. Okay. There's only sh- so many dumpster fires I can keep an eye on. <laughs> I, I look at them all. I look at all of them. That's why I'm as depressed as I am. No, I'm just kidding. So, um, what when you see that, you see the United States that gave Iraq through horrifying terms. I mean, just war and death, and we uh, invaded them. Innumerable yep. horrifying things. But now they they have a voice. They can vote. They have control over the people in front that lead them. They're still voting anti the United States. So there is, it seems that there are times when there's a no-win situation, don't you think? Yeah, I do. Like, I, I, I mean, I, I guess what I mean is it's possible that, that these cycles can get so vicious that there's just no, there's no chance that it's going to die off. I don't know. It's, it's, it's horrifying to imagine but i can't really say that it's logically impossible i don't think thinking that is the case is an actionable worldview um but but it certainly is possible to conceive of a, of of a culture that is you know and like oh, the modernity i can conceive of all sorts of horrible things that's easy <laughs> but i mean is it is is somebody who's locked in the mindset of the 1400s are they people who you necessarily want running things? These are people who perform clitorectomies. These are people who jail women for cheating on their husbands and kill them. Yeah, I get what you're saying. You even begin to talk to them about this kind of stuff. How? I don't know. I mean, look, I have a really hard time talking to Orthodox Jews too, if I'll be honest, but like... You know, I don't want them running anything either. hundred oh, percent. But I mean, like, I don't mean that as a what about is I just mean that like this, this is a problem of two intolerant orthodox systems fighting, fighting over a time. No, they're not equivalent, but they are equivalently exclusionary, I think, in the sense that neither of them is particularly tolerant of other lifestyles. Or equivalently um, fundamentalist. Well, no. I'm sorry, I should, I should take that back. I, I, I do think that Orthodox Judaism can allow for cohabitation with other religions better than this current kind of Orthodox um, Islamic jihadism. That's, that's, they, they are interested in converting or killing everyone in a way that Orthodox Jews are not. That's a fair point. Right. So, yeah, I agree with you on that. But, like, that's a generation, two generations old kind of problem, right? Like, you're talking about an extremist version of Islam that is relatively new, which leads me to think, yes. Oh, it's not new. Wahhabism? Wahhabism, sure, but that doesn't mean that other offshoots that are extreme are not. Are having- no, but what I'm, what I'm saying is that, like, these things can shift. And so I, I'm still of the mind that there has got to be some option other than just 
laying waste to the entire Middle East until until no one exists who still is anti-Semitic, which seems like it's never going to happen. And shouldn't happen. I mean, you shouldn't have to kill people to make them accept you. <laughs> I mean, that's right. failure on, on that's more failure on the people who are killing than the people who are being killed, to be honest. I mean, there are times when it's necessary, I mean, right? <laughs> yeah. To, I, yeah. But it, it, it's this terrible cycle of uh, that a lot of times these sort of conflicts breed, which is you we have forgotten who started it, right? There's no way to say like anyone started it. So then the then the conversation just becomes who has done more terrible things. And and I think it 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 is a dead end argument, right? I, I think at some point someone has to say enough is enough. We have to stop this and we have to sit down and go, how do we talk through this, right? Like how do we how do we stop killing one another and find peace? But you can't if your masters, people who are, or even your belief system says this should not be. How do you, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I mean, I think you have to accept, you, you're going to have to accept on that side of things that you have to find the people who aren't fundamentally opposed to the existence of Jews. And then hopefully over 50, 60 years, that, that idea will be pervasive and the yep. majority will find that. I mean, yep. That is your only option. <laughs> Mormons used to believe that people with, with, darker colored skin were these sort of demons, right? That they were these people that didn't, weren't actually human and couldn't possibly go to a paradise and have their own planet, right? That there was a, a time where that's exactly what they thought. And then in the seventies, they claimed to have changed that. And I think have gotten a lot better, not saying that they're not completely terrible still, but they still had a mindset <laughs> within their religious faith that said, People of color are not pure humans. Yeah. yeah, and I mean they're still pretty terrible, but I agree they, they've they've become pretty pretty nice generally speaking. And you can find a lot of Muslims who don't want to kill all the Jews. I, like I have a lot of friends that are Muslims that I love them. Like right, a family member. That's not it's not the religion. It's the extremist extremism and the distortion of the religion. Yeah. So I think I think if if I could put words into Aaron's mouth. I think what Aaron is saying is that if there's a way to prop up those people, the people who aren't the fundamentalists, in order to resolve the conflict, that I think that is what will lead to the solution. And I agree, but that's more easily done where there's freedom of information. We're, we're talking about a place that doesn't have food and water. How are you? How are you going to expose them to new ideas? Yeah, none of this is easy. I'm not saying that any of this is easy. I'm just saying, yeah. like, it, your options are what I'm. I think your options are what I'm describing, or murder, murder, murder. I hope it's not binary. I hope there's more ideas out there. There's more ways to do it. Maybe, maybe there's other options, but those seem like the two main ways that this could go so far. Uh, but we'll see. I, I don't know. You see this in, in um, South America also. You see the politicians begin to have a lot of money very quickly. Mahmoud Abbas, the leader of the PA, lives in a $13 million compound. How? His people don't have food. His people don't have water. Sometimes they don't have electricity. How are you living? It's possible you might see a shift from the inside, too. Like, you might see an Arab Spring kind of situation where the people who are living under that recognize that they don't want to be living under it anymore, and they replace the people with ones that are interested in dealing with Israel. Maybe, but in, in 100 years, in 50 years, in 20 years, I'm looking for something now. What can, what can happen now? 
I don't want to see anybody else die. I don't want to see. I don't see one more Muslim die. I don't want to see one Israeli die. I don't want anybody to die. Yeah. Well, it's a, you know it's an ongoing question. We probably should wrap wrap though. Yeah. I don't think we've... <laughs> Sorry, I can go about this as long as you. No, want. No, no, it's, it's, it's great. This this has been fantastic. Um, are there any sort of closing thoughts that you want to give or or ideas or anything? I mean, yeah, I guess in close, I would. I would really. <laughs> <laughs> this would be longer than the episode. No. To close out, I would say and ask people to keep in mind how if if they really if Jews were the Nazis that I see they're being compared to now, how quick they could completely exterminate all of the territories overnight. No one could do a thing. But that's not the point. That's not what people want. People want to live and let live. And I agree. And I agree with you on that, that that's most people. So yeah, that's it. Fair enough. Any thought? Any questions for me? Any thoughts from you guys? I appreciate, mm-hmm. appreciate your feedback. No, I think we let it ride. <laughs> yeah. Oh. No, I think that's a great note to end on. Okay. All right, guys. All right. Well, thanks very much, Abe. Thanks for being on again. We always uh, have fun, spirited conversations when you're on. So we'll do it again sometime. We'll see. I'll see you next cataclysmic event. Yeah. Always good. <laughs> right. Yeah, we'll, see if you can we'll, find we'll something meet. darker next time. I was going to say, we're going to meet at the sinkhole at the White House. Uh, mm. When I'm down, let's go. You, t- you give me the date, I'll be there. Mm. Yeah. Oh, one last, one last thing I wanted to mention because, uh, you know, it'll be a little while before we release this episode. So I just wanted to give a timestamp on when we recorded this, just in case new events unfold in the next, you know, few days or weeks. So right, we recorded right. this on the 23rd of May. Um, I just wanted to point that out so that there's that context of when we recorded. Yeah. And at so, this point, I mean, should we say what it was happening at this point? Or no, nah, I, I think it'll be okay. Alrighty. And I, I mean, we've, we've now guaranteed that there will be some sort of major cataclysm or some sort of life-changing event in that place between now and then because we recorded this. Bre- good, jo- good job. There will be another weasel that jumps into the Hedron Collider. Right. Break Weasels, off a new timeline. Man. Weasels all the way down. <laughs> we would like to thank our new patrons David and Catherine Rabinowitz and Chris Pachoni. We would like to thank our top patrons Jesse Rabinowitz, Dave Maslick, Abe, Corey Johnston, host of the Brainstorm Podcast and the Hardcore Skeptic, CampQuest.org, 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 Mr. Nobody, and Chad Trait. If you would like to become a patron, find us at patreon.com/slash embrace the void. As always, remember, you are the void, and the void is you. Mm-hmm.